Welcome to Engage Arizona. Public policy affects all of our lives, often in very profound ways. One of Center for Arizona Policy's main objectives is to inform and educate Arizonans about what's going on at the state capitol and in local governments that impact their lives. If you care about the preborn and their mothers, your rights as a parent, what freedoms are at risk, or how new laws touch your family, we're talking about it, and we invite you to join us as we discuss the latest developments you are not likely to learn from local and national news. Join us now as we unpack the week's developments in Arizona public policy. Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Cindy Dahlgren here with CAP President Kathy Herod and VP of Policy Lisa Brugg. We are talking about the major pro-life law now in limbo in Arizona as we wait for a ruling from District Court Judge Douglas Reyes. We all listened yesterday in the uh, conference room as the abortion activists were trying to get an injunction to hold up the law, which is scheduled to go into effect next Wednesday. Arizona lawmakers passed the CAP-supported pro-life bill earlier this year. Governor Ducey signed it. It prohibits discriminatory abortions based on genetic conditions such as Down syndrome, among other things. Abortion activists sued to stop the law from taking effect while they battled it out in court, which could take years and I'm sure would be fine with them. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about the arguments on both sides. It's a very interesting hearing. Um, Let's just say that Judge Reyes, you know, a lot of times these hearings are like an hour and each side presents their case and maybe the judge asks some questions. Judge Reyes went into this hearing with a list of detailed questions for each side. The first time I've really seen that in an abortion-related case that I can think of, uh, and it was, what, a a two-and-a-half-hour hearing, something like that. So that was was interesting, just the length of it. He even took a break during it, and I'm not sure the attorneys were fully prepared. I thought the attorney general, um, our attorney general, our state law, was defended by Michael Catlett in the um, attorney general, solicitor general office. I think he was well-prepared. I thought the abortion attorney was somewhat flustered at a number of different times. So it it is interesting. You know, there are two issues in the case. One is the genetic abnormality ban. The other is the the clause that we love that basically says um, that the preborn child, the unborn child, is entitled to all the rights and privileges of the law subject to court decisions. And we know that at this point in time that that limits it to somewhat because of, of Roe versus Wade and Casey. So it, it's just, it was very interesting to watch. You know, the other side, of course, is calling it a reason ban. They're making all of these wild allegations that um, women would not be able to get a pre-viability abortion. And the nub of the case and all these cases going through the courts that relate to the sanctity of human life goes to whether states can restrict pre-viability abortions. And, you know, let, I always want to note this lawsuit was filed by the Center for Reproductive Rights out of New York um, on behalf of the Planned Parenthood, the American Civil Liberties Union, um, abortion doctors Paul Isaacson and Eric Royce, and the Arizona Medical Association. So, For those of you who are doctors and are members of the Arizona Medical Association, for those of you who are in contact with doctors who are members of the Arizona Medical Association, you might want to ask, why is, as it's commonly called, ARMA engaging in a life-related lawsuit when, to my knowledge, I can't think of a time of when they have done that in the past. But on the issue of pre-viability even, the other side, you know, they are saying in their pleadings before the court that viability is at nine, is at 24 weeks. I'm trying to find my, my reference. And it's just, once again, I mean, they just lie through their teeth. Um, you know, to say that, um, you know, they say that 
I mean, to just say that it's pre-viability and that it's it just drives me crazy because, no, it's not um, – let me find it. You can. Well, it's not 24 weeks anymore. No, I mean, says, that's kind of outdated. Yeah, they say that the, the two abortion doctors provide um, a, a, abortions prior to 24 weeks at points in pregnancy at which no fetus is viable. Which is not crazy true. because that technology has taken us down the road way too far for that argument. So yeah, we've seen a recent story of 21 weeks. Every now and then we hear about a 20 week old, and so but they perpetuate the myth that um, that no baby is viable before 24 weeks. Which is and you know when they're doing abortions up to 23 weeks and six days, you know without question that these abortionists are doing early. I mean, if they're doing abortions of viable babies, there's Absolutely. no yeah, there's no question. So anyway, so so what the the abortion side is saying that the state cannot regulate pre-viability abortions, that this would prohibit any abortions because of genetic abnormalities, that it's unconstitutional to give the unborn child rights and privileges under the law. And and they're just wrong in, in all of their arguments, and they're not making constitutional arguments. The state is saying that this is very much within the rights. Um, if I could just, you know, the, the state's brief, they start off with a story about a man named Frank Stevens, this is the nub of what we're fighting for, who is a special Olympian and advocate for individuals, and he has Down syndrome. And he told Congress, I am a man with Down syndrome, and my life is worth living. Why do I feel to make the need to make that point? Because there are prenatal screens that will identify Down syndrome in the womb, and we can just terminate those pregnancies. I completely understand that the people pushing that particular final solution are saying that people like me should not exist. They are saying that we have too little value to exist. That view is deeply prejudiced by an outdated idea of life with Down syndrome. Seriously, I have a great life. I don't feel I should have to justify my existence. And then the Attorney General's office said the state of Arizona agrees. This is about not discriminating against unborn children who have Down syndrome in the same way that we do not discriminate against individuals with Down syndrome that are born. That is what we're fighting for. And you can find him on YouTube, and it's very moving. I've seen him speak. He's amazing. And it just goes back to what we've talked to you before about the high percentages of other countries and growing in the United States of people who target folks with Down syndrome specifically um, and other genetic abnormalities for abortion. So he's spot on. He's 100% correct, and I'm just glad that he spoke up like that. And if I remember the numbers correctly, I think in the United States, it's 69% of those yeah, with Down syndrome. nearing there. that, absolutely. And in, and in some of the other um, countries, it's, it's, it's nearing 90. 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's tragic. Uh, one of the things though, that struck me when we were listening yesterday was uh, how the other side was arguing that, you know, you can't do this, you can't, because this will um, ensure that this will take away the so-called right of any woman who has a, uh, a pre-born baby that may have a genetic condition, that she will not be able to get an abortion. And so you can't have these sort of reason bans. Um, it, at the same time that we already have in current Arizona law, bans against abortion based on sex and gender. And that's been in effect since I think like 2011 or something. So uh, that argument just doesn't seem to hold to me. Right. And, and they fought that and the hypotheticals, there were a lot of hypotheticals. Um, I was questioning where the judge was coming from at times because the hypotheticals were very vague. Um, but, um, and at one time, uh, the attorney said, well, the point that we are just speaking about hypotheticals would go against, you know, um, the advocates' uh, arguments, I would think. Right. And so I was trying to figure out, and maybe others were too, about where was he going with that? What, what was he, narrative was he trying to get to? Hmm. <laughs> well, and I think 
there's no telling. Um, <laughs> with all due respect to the judge, it you know, I just uh, with a number of the questions they were detailed, they were well thought out, and so trying to discern what his thinking was and where he was going with things, it was just like I have no idea. Uh, yeah, he was tough know, on both sides, he which was. I appreciated. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, very well prepared and and not letting him get by with anything. But you can't come up with every you know hypothetical that could be. So it, it was interesting. Well, in our state brief, they answered several of those hypotheticals. So I thought that was interesting. The state of Arizona had several examples of, you know, when the law would apply, when the law would not apply in their brief. And so whether that spawned some of the questions or not from the judge, I, I have no idea. But um, it was very thorough. And I, the judge himself was prepared. It wasn't just that his clerks had prepared. It was clear that the judge had done his homework. Well, well, that's that's good. Yeah, well, I think it goes with the um, manner of the nation right now in Texas, and, and it's the hot topic again, and thank goodness it is, because um, we've, we're coming up on a pretty good um, federal law, or Supreme Court lawsuit as well, right. and that will be uh, decided, and I think this is a culminating time in America, um, and you talk about the incremental approach a lot. I think this is part of that, of you know getting abortion banned once and for all in America, hopefully. Uh, so hopefully this is a piece of that, and it'll go in our favor. And I guess that's the question that I had was, because these are all kind of coming to fruition at sort of the same time, we've got the Texas heartbeat law, right? And that's being challenged. We've got this one being challenged. Supreme Court going to be hearing uh, Dobbs December 1st. So how does this play out? I mean, do they kind of drag this on until they decide Dobbs, and then they go from there? Or how do you... How do you do that? It's fascinating for those of us who watch the U.S. Supreme Court and the federal courts and who care deeply about this issue. It's it's more than fascinating. It's really um, it's critical what happens. Yesterday's hearing or went, uh, really showed to me the importance of what the U.S. Supreme Court is going to do with Dobbs. And the Dobbs case is the Mississippi law that limits abortions after 15 weeks gestational age. If the you know the Supreme Court has several options on Dobbs. One of them, and what we hope they will do, is to overturn the Roe v. Wade decision and the Casey decision. Roe v. Wade, of course, legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy um, in all 50 states. And then Casey um, allowed the states to do some re- regulation or restrictions of abortion, but not pre-viability abortions. So if the court upholds the Mississippi 15-week limit, then that automatically allows states to regulate pre-viability abortions, which means that regulating an abortion that these um, non-discrimination, anti-discrimination um, limits that we're talking about, like with Down syndrome genetic abnormalities, then it, it's far more likely that these are constitutional. So we do have three paths in the courts right now. We've got the 15-week limit, we've got the Texas heartbeat law, and we've got the anti-discrimination bans that are in several states, including ours. So how this plays out over the next year, by next June 30th, we'll know what the U.S. Supreme Court says about Mississippi. And um, we're very hopeful, very prayerful that states are going to be able to regulate pre-viability abortions. If they overturn Roe, then it still means, in our view, that Arizona's law before Roe that prohibited abortion except to save the life of the mother from conception, not just from heartbeat, not just, you know, after 15 weeks, that that would spring back into effect. So that's really our hope and prayer that the states that have, there are about, what, 12 or 15 states that have those laws still that we believe would go back into effect um, if the Supreme Court does the right thing and overturns Roe. All right, I want to go back a little bit to one of the arguments uh, that the abortion industry had in the hearing. And, uh, you know, it was about 
the personhood requirement, you know, that they say. So it, it's not that cut and dry, right? The way that they put it out there is that this is unconstitutional because you cannot attribute personhood to preborn babies, you know, at, at any stage. Uh, but it's not, it's not as cut and dry, correct? No, it's not. And the law, it's basically taken from a Missouri law that, was been, that has been upheld, that, and it basically says that the pre- unborn child is entitled to all the rights, privileges, and immunities that we are. As, as born human beings, subject to the laws and the, you know, the constitutional interpretations. That's the part they leave out. Yeah, they right. like. So it's not. It's <laughs> exactly. not like. It's not like this law goes into effect next Wednesday, and all of a sudden, personhood is the law in Arizona. No, because the U.S. Supreme Court still has Roe legalizing abortion. So, so yeah, they like to. And and the claims, you know, the attorney general has responded and basically says what they're claiming about that provision is it doesn't even apply. It's an area of law that doesn't even apply. Well, and we already prohibit against race and gender, like you mentioned before. So why is a Down syndrome baby any less of a person than a girl or a boy or um, somebody of a different origin? Uh, I, you know, it, it, to me, it doesn't square that argument. So what are, what are some of the outcomes? Well, first of all, let's just put out there that he has to come up with a decision one way or the other by Wednesday of next week, right? September 29th, 29th, because that's when the law will go into effect. And this is really um, not deciding whether or not the law is constitutional or unconstitutional. It's just that, you know, or can we have a preliminary injunction put on hold while it goes through the course? So we'll know by Wednesday. What are some of the possibilities? You know, sometimes judges have already written their opinion before they have a hearing. Mm. I, I didn't get that <laughs> since yesterday. So, um, so if this opinion comes out quickly, we'll know that maybe he did have it written ahead of time. But if it's not until Monday or Tuesday before the effective date of Wednesday, then we'll know that he's really mulling over the answers to the questions um, in, during the hearing. Basically, to me, there are three options. Um, he prevents the entire, you know, the two sections of that law from going into effect. Um, the second one is he allows them all, the two sections, to go into effect, or he does a mixed ruling. And the judge had several questions about, like, well, could he allow this section to go into effect but not these other sections? And so we might get a mixed ruling where some provisions of these two um, parts of, of Senate Bill 1457 are allowed to go into effect. It's going to be yeah, interesting. What, what would be the impacts of that? Then? I, well, one of the sections was, like, the reporting section and whether the um, doctor has to report whether the abortion was because of a genetic abnormality. So I think what he was saying was he could let that go into effect, but he would not let the ban... And the basic legal precedent is that the the abortion side has to show that they are likely to prevail on the merits in court in order to get what's called a temporary injunction or a permanent injunction from keeping the law from going into effect. I think there's certainly a lot of grounds that came out yesterday and come out in the briefs where he could say they're not likely to prevail on the merits and let this go into effect, and then it would go up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So um, we'll see, um, but I expect to get an opinion that's going to be you know, a few pages long, if not a lot of pages long, <laughs> um, and, and to see um, what happens next, because um, it was an extensive hearing yesterday. Yeah, I expect a lot of pages with the amount of questions mm-hmm. he had. <laughs> so. Yeah, and there's and, and that was a good distinction in that this was a big, a major pro-life law. So there's a lot more to it than just what they brought up in court. They were just the two provisions that they are challenging. Um, so what else is there? Let's talk a little bit about and remind people what else is in that law. Well, let me also say that when we talk about the genetic abnormality, let me just make sure I make this point, that we do have a Federal Circuit Court of Appeals that has upheld a state law prohibiting abortions because of Down syndrome. So there is precedent. This is not the first federal district court that is considering this issue, and we have one on this issue in other courts. It's a mixed bag in the federal courts, so that'll be interesting. But 
Senate Bill 1457, there are a number of sections that will go into effect next Wednesday. Um, it's exciting. One is that when a woman is having a surgical abortion, she will be asked how she wants the remains of the baby to be disposed of. And, you know, one at first glance, that sounds awful, but it's like, does she want the remains to be cremated or interred? And that just, you know, the intent of that is, of course, okay, let's stop and think this is a human life at some stage of development that you are um, that you need to decide how, how the remains are respectfully handled and disposed of. So that's a key provision. Yeah, and also it will they did not challenge the other key part of provision of this law, which is the prohibition on sending the abortion pill through the mail or courier. And so I know we were talking earlier, Kathy, about why that may be. My theory is that the Biden federal administration is doing everything they can to allow abortion medication, chemical abortion pills, to be sent through the mail or delivered by courier. They've used COVID as an excuse for that um, because of women not being able to go to clinics, supposedly, that type of thing. And they see, of course, abortion medication as being their answer to everything. Um, it, right now, it's supposed to only be through the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. Obviously, if you're sending it through the mail, um, who's really dating the, the pregnancy, the stage of pregnancy for the woman? Uh, does the woman have an ectopic pregnancy like we've brought up several times? Um, there's danger to a woman from not having an exam from a doctor to just getting those um, chemical abortion pills through the mail. But they didn't challenge that, and I think it's because they're relying on the, the federal yeah, I, government. Yeah, I believe that too. They, they feel they probably spoke to them and said, we are working on that from our level. Let's break this apart. You go after this. We've got that. Um, and, you know, the telehealth part is what gets me, is what you were just saying. You know, you can't have a, a video um, exam with a doctor and then get prescription abortion bills sent to you with pure knowledge that you've given them the information that they really need to save your life. Let's, you know, let's talk about the baby, but you're putting yourself in danger as well. Um, because if you don't have a, a doctor giving you or administering that test to see exactly how far along you are, you're guessing. You're just guessing. Exactly. So I just wanted to step back a little bit, talk a little bit about the Texas um, heartbeat bill again, because, uh, you know, it has been challenged. So again, this is uh, the one that um, prohibits abortions after a heartbeat can be detected about six weeks, unlike uh, the heartbeat laws in other states, all held up in court, of course. Uh, The Texas law doesn't depend on the state or local officials to bring charges. It's left to citizens to bring a lawsuit, Um, like in small claims court or other civil violations. And so that's happened deliberately. Obviously, the abortionist in Texas performing the illegal abortion thought that it was a good thing to have this thing challenged. And obviously, the civilian who is bringing the lawsuit thought so too. So what's going on? My understanding is both of the lawsuits filed were by people that live outside of Texas. So I don't know first whether they can go file a lawsuit in Texas against an abortion provider or whether the law in Texas only applies to a Texas citizen, but it is a private citizen enforcement. The The best news about the Texas heartbeat law is that since September 1st, abortions have not been happening in that state. Exactly. And so that that's um, the really exciting news um, that we see happening. I think eventually we're going to have a lawsuit. The federal government's filed a lawsuit. There's still multiple lawsuits in federal and state court in, in the state of Texas. Time will tell. I think that the pro-abortion side is still having a really uh, difficult time trying to yeah, figure out how they can do one. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And yeah. so for now, Texas heartbeat law is in effect. And as um, we've said repeatedly, we're taking a strong look at it in Arizona. Uh, the question for Arizona is, 
does that private citizen enforcement action work here? Uh, you know, you've got to always kind of stop and, and kind of evaluate research. What do our state laws say? What are, what are court decisions that might apply? Well, is a private citizen enforcement action doable in Arizona? And so there'll, there'll be a lot of work to be done between now and January when the legislature goes into effect and to keep a close watch on Texas. I mean, we, and we probably will not know the outcome of you know, these, these lawsuits or other lawsuits coming up by then, and we'll just have to guess our best. Right. And you'll see a lot of states doing that. Right. Yeah. In flux. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next week, several CAP-supported laws go into effect, hopefully this one. Uh, also, several other laws from a significant parental rights and sex education law to a number of pro-life laws and a couple of um, educational freedom provisions and more. So we'll talk about that next week. It's important that everybody, um, you know, that we know what our rights are, what the new laws are. So uh, we'll tackle that next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.